السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي ربنا زدنا علما So we covered the باب the ترجمة the chapter heading الجمع بين السورتين في الركعة والقراءة بالخواتين وبسورة قبل سورة وبأول سورة Reciting two surahs in one rak'ah or the last ayat of a surah or surahs in reverse order or the beginning of a surah. And inshallah now we're going to read the ahadith. وَقَالَ عُبَيْدُ اللَّهِ عَنْ ثَابِتٍ عَنْ أَنَسٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ كَانَ رَجِلٌ مِنَ الْأَنصَارِ He said that a man from the Ansar يَأُمُّهُمْ فِي مَسْجِدِ قُبَائٍ That he used to lead them in prayer in Masjid Quba. Notice the word يَأُمُّهُمْ What's the root? What's the main word that it's coming from? Imam, right? Amma. So he used to lead them in prayer in the masjid of Quba. Wakana, and he used to, kullama, every time, iftataha suratan, he began a surah, he recited, he began the recitation of a surah, and this would obviously be when? After Surah Al-Fatiha. So every time he would have to recite a surah, يَقْرَأُ He would recite بِهَا لَهُمْ فِي الصَّلَاةِ مِمَّا يَقْرَأُ بِهِ Meaning, he would, he, every time he wanted to recite a surah for them in prayer, he would begin the recitation with بِقُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدُ With the recitation of قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدُ So every time he had to recite, what would he do first? Surah Al-Ikhlas حَتَّى يَفْرُغَ مِنْهَا Until he became Free of it, meaning he completed the recitation of Surah Al-Ikhlas. ثُمَّ then يَقْرَأُ سُورَةً أُخْرَى مَعَهَا Then he would recite a surah, أُخْرَى, another, مَعَهَا, with it. So you understand? Every time he had to recite a surah, first he would recite Surah Al-Ikhlas, and then he would recite another surah. So how many surahs would he be reciting? At least two. Okay? At least two surahs in every rak'ah after Surah Al-Fatiha. Now, what does this prove? That you can recite more than one surah in one rak'ah. وَكَانَ يَصْنَعُ ذَلِكَ And he would do that في كل رَكَعَةٍ In every rak'ah. Meaning, every salah, because he was the imam, so fajr, maghrib, isha, for every salah, what would he do? Every single rak'ah, he would recite surah al-ikhlas also. فَكَلَّمَهُ أَصْحَابُهُ so his companions spoke to him. Meaning the people who were with him, they spoke to him. فَقَالُوا So they said, إِنَّكَ indeed you تَفْتَتِحُ بِهَذِهِ السُّورَةِ You always begin with this surah. ثُمَّ لَا تَرَى أَنَّهَا تُجْزِئُكَ Then you don't think that it is enough for you. تُجْزِئُكَ Meaning you don't think that it is sufficient for you. حَتَّى أَنْتِلْ تَقْرَأَ بِأُخْرَى You recite another. Why is it that you don't think the recitation of Surah Al-Ikhlas is sufficient? Why do you always have to recite another surah with it? فَإِمَّا أَن تَقْرَأَ بِهَا Either you recite this surah, وَتَقْرَأَ بِأُخْرَى وَإِمَّا and or أَن تَدَعَهَا That you leave it, وَتَقْرَأَ بِأُخْرَى And you read another surah. So either you read Surah Al-Ikhlas, or you don't read Surah Al-Ikhlas, and you read a different surah. Why is it that you have to read two surahs every time? فَقَالَ So he said, مَا أَنَا بِتَارِكِهَا 
I am not going to leave this surah. In ahbabtum, if you want an ummakum that I should lead you, bidalika with that, faaltu. What I do, meaning if you want me to lead you, then this is what I'm going to do. I'm always going to recite Surah Al-Ikhlas in every rakah. Wa in karihtum, and if you dislike it, taraktukum. I will leave you. Meaning I'm not going to lead you in prayer. Then you have to go find another imam. وَكَانُوا And they used to, يَرَوْنَ They would see that أَنَّهُ That indeed he مِنْ أَفْضَلِهِمْ The best of them. The people of Quba, they knew that this man was the best of them. Best of them in what sense? He knew the most Qur'an. Okay, so he was the most worthy of being the imam. وَكَرِهُ And the disliked أَنْ يَأُمَّهُمْ غَيْرُهُ That someone else should lead them. Meaning they didn't, they didn't want to lose him either. They didn't want somebody else to lead them. فَلَمَّا أَتَاهُمُ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ Then when the Prophet ﷺ came to them, أَخْبَرُوهُ الْخَبْرَ They they informed him about this news, about what had been happening. فَقَالَ So the Prophet ﷺ said, يَا فُلَان Also and so, مَا يَمْنَعُكَ What stops you? أَن تَفْعَلَ That you do مَا يَأْمُرُكَ What he commands you, be he with it, أَصْحَابُكَ Your companions. Meaning, why don't you listen to your companions? وَمَا يَحْمِلُكَ And what makes you عَلَى لُزُومِ هَذِهِ السُورَةِ On the luzum of the surah. Luzum, to adhere. To adhere firmly. Meaning, what is it that makes you, uh, you know, recite the surah always? Why don't you leave it sometimes? And why don't you listen to your companions? فِي كُلِّ رَقَعَ Meaning, in every raqah you have to recite the surah. فَقَالَ So he said, إِنِّي أُحِبُّهَا Indeed, I love it. I love the surah. And I love it too much that I cannot leave it. I have to recite it in every rakah. فَقَالَ So the Prophet ﷺ said, حُبُّكَ إِيَّاهَا أَدْخَلَكَ الْجَنَّةِ Your love for this surah will make you enter jannah. This surah, you love it, it will make you enter jannah. And this surah, in fact, is very beautiful. Because Surah Al-Ikhlas, it talks about who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala His oneness and His unique attributes It is indeed very beautiful And reciting it frequently Definitely is a means of uh, entering Jannah This hadith is an example How the Prophet sallallahu said حُبُّكَ إِيَّاهَا أَدْخَلَكَ الْجَنَّةِ In another hadith which is in As-Silsilatul Sahiha We learn that the Prophet sallallahu said مَنْ قَرَأَ قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ Whoever recites قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ Ten times Allah will make for him a palace in Jannah. Whoever recites قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدْ Ten times, Allah will make for him a palace in Jannah. Umar Abdullah said, Then we will have many palaces. Meaning, it's such an easy way to have you know so many palaces, so many homes in Jannah. So the Prophet said, Indeed, Allah has even more and better than that. He has even more and better than that. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's really up to you. How much you recite, that is how much benefit you're going to get. In another hadith we learn, which is in Muslim Ahmad, Abu Hurairah who said that the Prophet ﷺ, once he heard a man read this surah, he was reciting, قُلْ أَحَدْ The Prophet ﷺ said, وَجَبَتْ وَجَبَتْ What does wajabat mean? It has become obligatory. It has become mandatory. So the people said, O Messenger of Allah, what has become wajib? What has become mandatory? He said, Wajabat lahul jannah. 
Jannah has become mandatory for this man. And both of these ahadith are sahih. So what do we learn? That Surah Al-Ikhlas, reciting it frequently, with heart, with meaning, uh, you know, with sincerity, with love, this is definitely a means of entering Jannah. Now, in this hadith, what is the proof that Imam Bukhari is taking? Exactly. The two surahs can be recited in one rakah. It is not necessary to recite only one surah. One may recite two surahs also in one rakah. Now, you see, if this man is reciting Surah Al-Ikhlas in every rakah, and after that he would recite another surah, which surah comes after Surah Al-Ikhlas? Al-Falaq. And which one is after that? An-Nas. And then, finished. Right? So, if he would only recite the surahs which come after Surah Al-Ikhlas, then he would have only the option of two surahs. Okay? But we would understand that if he was the best of his people, then he knew more Qur'an than that. And he would recite other surahs also. So which proves to us the other point that Imam Bukhari was making in the Bab, which is that you can reverse the order of the surahs also. Reverse the order, change the order, in the sense that uh, in the Mus'haf, you have the surahs arranged in a particular order. But in Salah, you can change that order. So for example, after Surah Al-Ikhlas, can a person recite Surah Al-Kawthar? Yes. Even though Surah Al-Kawthar comes before Surah Al-Ikhlas in the Mus'haf, yes he can. He still can. Because uh, following this order, this is not mandatory. And this uh, changing of the order, this is known as tankis. Tankis. It means to turn back. right? To, to change the order. So reading later parts of the Qur'an before earlier parts, this is known as tankis. And there are different types of tankis. And this is necessary to understand. First of all, first type of tankis is tankis of huruf, which is to change the order of the letters. Okay? So for example, a word, rab. Rab. What letters do we have here? Ra and ba. Now, tankis of huruf would be to change the order of the huruf. So, ba is coming first and ra is coming second. So, from rab, a person reads it as bar. Now, this kind of tankis is haram. It's forbidden. Why? Because changing the huruf means changing the words. Changing the words means changing the meaning. Tahrif. Right? So, this kind of tankis is not permissible. Now it's very important that when we recite, we recite clearly and properly. Because sometimes when we're rushing in our recitation, literally we change the order of the huruf. And that can change the meaning. The second type of tankis is tankis of kalimat. Kalimat meaning words. Which is to change the order of the words. So for example, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدُ قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدُ قُلْ is a kalima. And where does that come in the ayah? At the beginning. But if a person you know, puts qul right at the end, so he says, ahad Allahu wa qul, or he reverses the order completely, then this is also haram. This is also forbidden. This kind of changing the order is not permissible. Why? Because again, this is a type of tahrif. This is changing the meaning completely. The third type of tankis is tankisul ayat. Changing the order of the verses, reversing the order of the ayat. 
Okay? So for example, قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ What comes next? مَلِكِ النَّاسِ What comes next? إِلَاهِ النَّاسِ Then, مِنْ شَرِّ الْوَسْوَاسِ الْخَنَّاسِ الَّذِي يُوَسْوِسُ فِي صُدُورِ النَّاسِ مِنَ الْجِنَّةِ وَالنَّاسِ If a person reverses the order, reads it backwards, okay? So for example, he reads it as, uh, he reads it as, مِنْ شَرِّ الْوَسْوَاسِ الْخَنَّاسِ Okay? And then, إِلَاهِ النَّاسِ This is changing the order. This kind of tanqis is also allowed or not? Not allowed. Not at all. Because it's going to change the meaning completely. The fourth type of tanqis is tanqis as-sur. Meaning, inversion of the surah, so changing the order of the surahs. Is this permissible? Yes, it is permissible. Why? Because it's proven from the sunnah. The Prophet ﷺ recited surat an-nisa before surat Ali Imran. Okay? Whereas Ali Imran comes first and An-Nisa comes next. But he changed the order. Okay? So we learned that after reciting Surah Al-Baqarah, the Prophet ﷺ recited Surah An-Nisa and then he recited Ali Imran. So he changed the order. Now, why is it that this kind of tanqis is permissible? Because the arrangement of the letters, the arrangement of the words, the arrangement of the surahs, sorry, of the ayat, This is all based on revelation. This is all based on revelation. This is how the Qur'an was revealed. This order, this arrangement was instructed by who? By the Prophet ﷺ. This is how he taught the Qur'an to the people. So this is why we cannot change the order. But when it comes to the arrangement of the surahs, according to many ulama, this was the arrangement that the companions gave. Okay? Or this was not based on revelation. And you know that when the Qur'an was revealed, it was not revealed in this order. Okay? Surah Al-Fatiha was not the first surah to be revealed. Surah Al-Baqarah was not the second surah to be revealed. Right? So if the arrangement uh, was changed in this way, that when, when the Mus'haf was put together, it was not uh, the surahs were not arranged in a chronological order, you can say. And this means that the order can also be changed when a person is reciting the Qur'an. There is no harm in that. But when it comes to the arrangement of the letters, of the words, of the ayat, then that is based on revelation, and that we cannot change, alter at all. Okay, again, if you skip a few verses in the middle, in the same rakah, then it gets confusing. Okay, it gets confusing. And... Yes, there might be a link in the meaning, but there's a reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put those 20 or 50 or 5 verses between these ayat. Okay? So we have to respect the arrangement that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given and we cannot change that. However, if you want to recite, let's say, the first few verses of a surah in the first rakah, and then the last few verses of the same surah in the second rakah, that is fine. But in the same rakah, that is not appropriate. حدثنا آدم قال حدثنا شعبة عن عمرو بن مرة قال سمعت أبا وائل قال جاء رجل إلى ابن مسعود he said a man came to Ibn Mas'ud فقال so he said قرأت المفصلة he said I recited the مفصل what are the مفصل surahs from surah Qaf all the way to surah Al-Nas he said I recited all of them الليلة in one night في رقعة in one رقعة he said, I recited all the Mufassal Surahs in one rakah, one night. فَقَالَ So Ibn Mas'ud said, هَذَّنْ كَهَذِّ الشِّعْرِ 
you recited all those surahs like shi'r, like poetry is recited? How is poetry recited sometimes? Very fast. You know, for example, spoken word poetry. It's, reci- it's read so fast that you, know, you, you lose the person in the middle. You have to pay a lot of attention to make sure that you are getting every word. Because otherwise, you, you'll miss so much meaning. Right? So, hadh is to read out shi'r, to read out poetry uh, quickly. With surah. Okay? So, he said, Hadhan kahadh shi'ri? You recited all those surahs in one rakah, like poetry is read fast? He said, Laqad certainly, araftu aino an-nawair. The corresponding surahs. Nawair is a plural of nadir. And what does nadir mean? One that is similar to, one that is equivalent to, one that is equal to another. That matches the another. That corresponds with another. Okay? So, for example, uh, nid, the word nid, partner, equal, rival. Another synonym for that is nadir, equivalent, similar to. Okay? So he said that I know the nadir, the corresponding surahs, allati which Kana Nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to, yaqrinu, he would join, baynahunna between them. Meaning, I know about those surahs which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would join together, meaning their recitation, in in his salah. He would, he would join them in, in, in his salah. فَذَكَرَ So he mentioned, عِشْرِينَ سُورَةً About 20 surahs, مِنَ mufassal From the mufassal surahs, suratain. Two surahs that the Prophet ﷺ would join together fi kulli rakar in every rakar. So you understand what he's saying? That you read all of these surahs in one rakar, whereas the way of the Prophet ﷺ was that he would only read two surahs maximum that he would combine was how many surahs? Two only in one rakar. Okay? Two surahs from the Mufassal in one rakar. And then Ibn Mas'ud, he mentioned about 20 surahs that the Prophet ﷺ would combine, meaning two to each of those 20, okay, uh, in, in each rakah. So in another version of the hadith, which is in, in Abu Dawood, we learn that the Prophet ﷺ would recite, for example, he would join Surah Al-Najm and Surah Al-Rahman in one rakah. Surah Al-Najm and Surah Al-Rahman in one rakah. He wouldn't recite... Qaf, Najm, Rahman, Waqi'ah, you know, five, six, seven, eight surahs in one rakah. No. Maximum he would join how many? Two. Likewise, he would join surah Iqtarabat, which is surah Al-Qamar, and surah Al-Haqqah. Surah Al-Qamar and surah Al-Haqqah in one rakah. Likewise, he would join surah Al-Tur and surah Al-Dhariyat in one rakah. Likewise, he would join surah Al-Waqi'ah and Surah Noon in one rakah. He would join Surah Al-Ma'arij and An-Nazi'at in one rakah. He would join Surah Al-Mutaffifin and Abasa. Mutaffifin and Abasa in one rakah. Likewise, sometimes he would join Surah Al-Muddathir and Al-Muzzammil. Now if you notice the surahs of the Prophet is joining together, uh, the, uh, uh, Ibn Mas'ud, he described them as Nazair. 
Hmm? They were similar. How are they similar? In their meaning. So for example, Muddathir, Muzammil, they're so similar in meaning. Surah Al-Insan, Surah Al-Qiyamah. Because they also mention, both of them mention Jannah and Nar. Right? The people of Jannah, the people of Nar. Likewise, he would join Surah Nabah, Surah Mursalat. Okay? In one raka'ah. He would recite Surah Al-Dukhan, Surah Al-Takweer. In one raka'ah. So these were the 20 surahs that Ibn Mas'ud mentioned. How the Prophet ﷺ would join between them in his prayers. That maximum two in one rakah, not more than that. Clear? So what's the sunnah that we learn from this? Hmm? Maximum two surahs per, per rakah. And which surahs? Those which are similar in their meaning. Not necessarily in their length. Because if you think about it, Surah Al-Dukhan is very long. And Surah Al-Takweer, very short compared to it. I mean, not that Surah Al-Dukhan is a very, very long surah, but it's long compared to Surah Al-Takweer. But the Prophet ﷺ is reading them together. Why? Because the meaning is similar. The message is similar. So this is something that we also need to keep in mind. And you see, when you recite in this way, that you keep the meaning in mind, then what happens? You're, you're paying better attention. Right? Otherwise we're just reading without even thinking about what we're reciting. Okay. Yaqrunu, yaqrinu, same thing. It's just read in different ways. It's the same word. From qarana. What does qarana mean? To join together. And this is one of the explanations of the word Qur'an that some scholars have given that it is from the root qafranun, to join together. Because in the Qur'an, many messages, many you know, good messages, advice, stories, uh, commands, warnings are combined together. They're mentioned together. Okay. Yesterday somebody asked a question that the Imam, when he is reciting okay, in Jahri Salah, he is reciting the Qur'an out loud. Okay. The Munfarid, the person who is praying by himself, is he supposed to recite the Qur'an out loud also? In Fajr prayer, Maghrib prayer, Isha prayer. Now, earlier remember what I mentioned to you that whatever uh, rule applies to the Imam, it also applies to the Munfarid. So keeping that in mind, many scholars, they have said that the Munfarid, he can also recite out loud. It is better that he recites out loud Okay, loud in the sense that he can hear himself, not that everybody in the house can hear them. But if the situation is such that it would be better for them to recite silently, then that is also okay. Okay, so for example, Sheikh Bin he said, if a person is praying alone, then he has the choice between reciting out loud or silently. He should look at what is more likely to increase his focus and humility in prayer and do that. So whatever will add to the khushur, that is what he should do. So for example, in Fajr prayer, when usually everyone is quiet and you are reciting out loud, meaning softly in the sense that you can hear yourself, then that helps with khushur. Reciting out loud, especially the long surahs, it helps you uh, you know, recite correctly, pay better attention. But for instance, Maghrib, okay? or for instance, Isha, when there are people around you, you might find it you know, more comfortable to recite softly. So it's up to you really. Whatever is helpful for your khushu, you may do that. Another question is from this, that can a woman do that? Is a woman also 
allowed to recite loudly. Ibn Qudama said, a woman may recite out loud in prayers where Quran is recited out loud. But if there are men present, and obviously these men are the non-mahram, then she should not recite out loud unless they are her mahram, in which case she may do that. Okay? Bab yaqra'u fil ukhrayayni bi fatihat al-kitab. Yaqra'u, he should recite. Who? The musalli. Fil ukhrayayni, in the last two raka'ah. Bi fatihat al-kitab. What should he recite? Fatihat al-kitab. What is that? Surah al-Fatiha. Meaning in the last two raka'ah, the musalli should only recite which surah? الفاتحة. Not more than that. حدثنا موسى بن إسماعيل قال حدثنا همام عن يحيى عن عبد الله بن أبي قتادة عن أبيه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يقرأ في الظهر في الأوليين That the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم would recite in ظهر صلاة في الأوليين in the first two raka'a بأم الكتاب سورة الفاتحة وسورتين and two surahs meaning a surah in each raka'a سورتين does not mean that after سورة الفاتحة he would recite two surahs what it means is two surahs in total, so one surah each in every rakah. And in the last two rakah, with Ummul Kitab, meaning only Surah Al Fatiha. And sometimes he would also make us hear an ayah, meaning he would recite it loudly so that we could hear him. And he would make the first rakah long. That he would not in the second rakah, meaning the first rakah would be longer compared to the second rakah. And this is how he was in Asr prayer as well as in Fajr prayer, meaning the first rakah was longer than the second rakah. Now, what's the benefit of this? That the first rakah is longer than the second rakah, and in the third and fourth rakah, you're only reciting Surah Al Fatiha. Okay, there is benefit in this that when the imam is leading and there are people who are coming in to join, okay, then if the first rakah is long, then you know it will help people catch up. Right? More people can join the salah and they won't miss the first rakah. Yes? Because you see, whether the person is imam or munfarid, when he prays in this manner, first rakah is long, second is slightly shorter, and the last two are only through al-fatiha then what happens is that with every rakah, salah becomes easier. It becomes easier. Because when you begin something, at the beginning you have the energy and the motivation. But what happens is that it is only natural that by the end, you know, as you, as you move on, you kind of lose that motivation. So in order to make salah easy for people, because you have to pray five times a day, Ramadan, yes, with each day, you know, especially the end of Ramadan, it only intensifies. Hmm? That is a different situation because it's only once a year. But salah is five times a day. So it makes it easier like that. Yuridullahu bikumul yusra, wala yuridu bikumul usra. But remember that sometimes the second rakah may be longer than the first one. There is no harm in that. Maybe. Bab man khafata al qiraata fi zuhri wal asri. Man khafata. The one who khafata. What does khafata mean? To keep quiet. Right? To keep silent, to keep quiet. So the one who keeps silent, Al-Qira'ata, the recitation, Fil-Zuhri wal-Asri, in Zuhr and Asr prayer. Meaning he does not make that recitation loud, he does not make it audible. Other people cannot hear it. Whether, 
امام اور مأموم حدثنا قتيبة بن سعيد قال حدثنا جرير عن الاعمش عن عمارة بن عمير عن ابي معمر قلت لخباب اكان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقرا في الظهر والعصر قال نعم قلنا من اين علمت قال بالطراب لحيته this hadith we have read many times before now what do we learn in this hadith that the companions they saw the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam's beard moving in zuhur and asr prayer which meant that he was reciting but how was he reciting quietly and this shows to us that zuhur and asr prayer whether imam ma'mum or munfarid everyone has to recite silently what's the hikmah what's the benefit okay everyone can read on their own in fajr maghrib isha the imam is reading and people are listening but for zuhur and asr everyone has to recite themselves is there a difference between listening to recitation and reciting yourself hmm? what's the benefit what's the difference rather okay when you are reading yourself it helps you pay better attention okay it requires more focus good but what about listening doesn't that help you focus also huh it helps you yes that sometimes we pay better attention when we are listening now you see two prayers you have to read yourself three prayers you listen to the recitation so with this there is a balance there is a balance you get to recite yourself and you also get to listen if it was only listening people would not bother to memorize any quran themselves and if it was only reciting then how would people hear the recitation i mean everywhere you don't have quran cds available right Reco- recording available remember the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam at certain occasions he asked certain companions recite the quran to me recite the quran to me so this was kind of unusual you know just listening to the quran for us it's become you know very common So with this that you know some prayers recite yourself other prayers listen to the recitation there is a beautiful balance and it also helps with the recitation Sheikh Abdullah bin Jibreel he said it was decreed that recitation in zuhur and asr should be done silently because the time of these prayers is during the day and at that time a person's mind may be preoccupied with a lot of thoughts as he is busy with his work or trade or manufacturing meaning he is busy with his work so he is distracted if the recitation were to be done out loud his mind would be distracted and he would not listen attentively to the imam's recitation because he is not reciting himself his mind would just wander away okay he would be thinking about the work the cooking you know the chores he would not listen to it or devote his attention to it rather other things would come to mind and distract him so he was commanded to recite to himself so that his recitation will make him think and ponder he said it is well known that if people pray in congregation for zuhur or asr prayer they should not recite out loud because then they would distract one another so first of all everyone has to recite and secondly everyone has to recite silently why so that everyone can pay attention so both the imam and the one who is praying behind him are enjoined to recite silently but with regard to the prayers that are offered during the night in most cases people are free from distractions 
So the Imam is enjoined to recite out loud so that others may benefit from his recitation. So for example, at Fajr time, you're generally not distracted because it's just the beginning of the day. Right? At Maghrib, at Isha, you're done with your work. Mostly. Right? So you're not that distracted. And especially remember that this is for the men because they are praying in congregation. So there is a lot of hikmah in this. Why certain prayers are to be recited silently and others loudly. Shaykh ibn Baz, he said, Allah knows best the reason why it is prescribed to recite out loud in those prayers. The most likely reason, and Allah knows best, is that at night and at the time of Fajr prayer, people are more likely to benefit from recitation that is done out loud as there are less distractions around them than at any time of Zuhur and Asr. So again, same thing he said. Shaykh ibn Uthaymin, he said, the reason why it is recited out loud is, and Allah knows best, firstly, so as to unite the people behind one imam. So this is also a benefit. Fajr, Maghrib, Isha, when the imam is reciting, everyone is united behind the imam. Because if they are united behind one imam and listening attentively to him, that is a better form of unity than if each of them were recite to himself. Okay? And in order to achieve this, the people must all be gathered in one place, okay, praying behind one imam, listening to his recitation, except in the cases of necessity, meaning that is a different situation. So there is hikmah in this also. Bab ida asma'a al-imamul ayah. When the imam asma'a, what does asma'a mean? He makes to hear, because it's bab if'al, those of you who are familiar with grammar. Sami'a to hear himself. Asma'a, asma'a yusmi'u isma' to make someone else hear. How would you make someone else hear? By reading loudly. Now, in which salah is this supposed to be done? Obviously in Jahri Salah. But Imam Bukhari is talking about which Salah? Sirri Salah. The silent prayer, which is Dhuhr and Asr. That when the Imam recites one ayah here and there out loud so that the people can hear him. Haddathana Muhammad ibn Yusuf, Haddathana al-Awza'iyyu, Haddathani Yahya ibn Abi Kathirin, Haddathani Abdullah ibn Abi Qatadata an abihi, anna nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kana yaqra'u bi umm al-kitabi wa suratim ma'aha fi raka'atayn al-ulayayn. That the Prophet ﷺ would recite with Surah Al-Fatiha, a surah with it, in the first two raka'ah, min salat al-zuhri wa salat al-asri, in zuhr and asr prayer. وَيُسْمِرُنَ الْآيَةَ أَحْيَانًا And at times he would also make us hear an ayah. وَكَانَ يُطِيلُ فِي الرَّكَعَةِ الْأُولَى And he would make the first raka'ah long. We have read similar ahadith earlier, the message is clear. بَاب يُطَوِّلُ فِي الرَّكَعَةِ الْأُولَى Making the first raka'ah long, meaning in all the prayers. Every prayer. Whether it is fard or it is sunnah. Whether it is fajr or it is zuhr, Whether a person is reading himself or he is leading as imam. What has to be done? That the first rakah should be longer compared to the second one. And this is especially when a person is leading others. Why make the first rakah long? So that more people can catch the first rakah. حدثنا أبو نعيم حدثنا هشام عن يحيى بن أبي كثير عن عبد الله بن أبي قتادة عن أبيه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يطول في الركعة الأولى من صلاة الظهر ويقصر في الثانية. That the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم his way was that he would uh, make the first rakah long and the second rakah short. In which salah? ظهر صلاة ويقصر في الثانية and he would make the second rakah short ويفعل ذلك في صلاة الصبح and he would also do that in the Fajr prayer باب جهل الإمام بالتأمين now after recitation Imam Bukhari is talking about تأمين what is تأمين 
to say Ameen. So the next few bab will be about the issue of Ameen. So Jahril Imam, the Imam, he is doing Jahr, meaning he's saying out loud. What is he saying out loud? Bitta'min, meaning the Ta'min, saying Ameen. So the Imam saying Ameen aloud. When? After reciting Surah Al-Fatiha. That he says it as loud as he recited Surah Al-Fatiha. You understand? Now, majority of the scholars there are of the opinion that the Imam should should say the Ameen out loud. Out loud so that the people behind him can hear him say Ameen. And there are only a few scholars, for example, Abu Hanifa or Mamalik, who said that either the Ameen should not be said at all or that it should be said silently. But we see that majority of the Ahadith, what do they prove? That the Ameen should be said out loud. How should it be said? Out loud. And now we said that Ameen is Sunnah for every worshipper. After Surah Al-Fatiha. Meaning, whether a person is praying himself, or Imam, or Ma'mum. Saying Ameen is Sunnah for everyone. Whether he is leading the prayer, or is following an Imam, or praying alone. For men, women, and children. Men have to say Ameen. Women also have to say Ameen. And children should also be taught to say Ameen. And many children, they love to say Ameen. Hmm? Whether they are praying standing up, or they are praying sitting down, or they are praying lying down. Whether they are praying an obligatory prayer, or a nafl prayer. Whether the prayer is one in which Qur'an is recited silently, or out loud. Meaning Zuhr prayer, or Maghrib prayer. Every single salah. There is no difference of opinion concerning this among any of our companions. Because Ameen is a part of Surah Al-Fatiha. Okay? Because the Prophet ﷺ said that when the Imam says غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَبْضَالِينَ Then you should say Ameen. Another hadith tells us that when the Imam says it, the angels say Ameen. So what does it mean? Saying Ameen is a part of Surah Al-Fatiha. So when a person is required to say Surah Al-Fatiha in every prayer, prayer is invalid without the recitation of Surah Al-Fatiha, then that means saying Ameen is also necessary. And now we also said that if the prayer is one in which Qur'an is recited silently. Okay, remember, two kinds of prayers, right? One in which Qur'an is recited silently, and the other in which Qur'an is recited loudly. He said, if the Qur'an is recited silently, then the Imam and others should say, Ameen, silently, following the manner of recitation. And if it is a prayer in which Qur'an is recited out loud, then it is mustahab for the members of the congregation to say Ameen out loud. There is no difference of opinion on this point. وَقَالَ عَطَاءٌ عَطَاءٌ said, Ameen دُعَاءٌ Ameen is dua. Meaning saying Ameen, this is dua. Because what does Ameen mean? It means Allahumma astajib. O Allah, accept our dua, answer our dua. This is what Ameen means. So, Surah Al-Fatiha, at the end, what are you doing? You're making a dua, right? اِهْدِنَ الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ صِرَاطَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ غَيْرِ الْمَقْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَضَّالِينَ This is a dua. So when you make a dua, what do you say? Oh Allah, please accept. And how do you say that in Arabic? By saying, Ameen. And what is the correct way of pronouncing the word Ameen? Is it Ameen with the Shadda on the meme? 
Now, if you say, if you put a shadda on the meme, Ameen, then what does that mean? Ameen al-bayt. Those intending. Okay? Those intending. So Ameen means, it's ism jama. Okay? Those who are intending to do something. That's not what we mean. Okay? Likewise, the person says, Ameen. What does that mean? Ameen. Trustworthy. This is what? Ameen. Alif has a mad on it. Meme has no shadda. And after the meme is a ya. Ameen. So it's necessary to pronounce it correctly. Just as we pronounce the words of Surah Al-Fatiha correctly, so Ameen must also be pronounced correctly. Amman ibn Zubairi. Now over here, Imam Bukhari is mentioning different statements or mu'allaqat or portions of ahadith that he will mention later. Amman ibn Zubairi. Ibn Zubair, he ammana. Meaning he said Ameen. He said Ameen, وَمَنْ وَرَاءَهُ And also those behind him. Meaning those who were praying behind him. So, Imam and Ma'mum, all of them are saying Ameen, حَتَّى أَنْتِلْ إِنَّ لِلْمَسْجِدِ لَلَجَّةِ That for the masjid was a lajja, Meaning an echoing sound. It was so loud that I mean everyone is saying I mean together that it was almost echoing. It could be heard everywhere in the masjid, even outside the masjid. So what do we learn from this? That the Imam and the Ma'mum, everyone should say Ameen out loud when the salah is jahri. Okay? And remember that this is the only statement in the entire salah that the ma'moom is required to say with the imam. Okay? Otherwise, when the imam is reading, saying out loud, the ma'moom is supposed to be listening. So for example, if the imam says, Allahu Akbar, the ma'moom should not say, Allahu Akbar. No, he's listening. You understand? When the imam is reciting Surah Al-Fatiha, what is better? That he is listening. Right? But when the Imam is saying Ameen, then the Ma'moom should also say Ameen. Why? In order to get the reward. What is that reward? Inshallah we'll find out. Now many times it happens that as women, when we're praying in a congregation behind the men, okay, then some women, they hesitate in saying Ameen. Should they say Ameen or should they not say Ameen? Okay? If they say Ameen, there is reward. Because if, you remember the Hadith? That the angels also say Ameen. So if your Ameen coincides with the Ameen of the angels, your past sins are forgiven. How could you miss that opportunity? And at the same time, if you say Ameen, you wonder that, you know, if the Imam makes a mistake, then you're not supposed to say anything, you're supposed to clap. Right? The men say SubhanAllah and the women clap. Right? So what are you supposed to do? Can you make your Ameen audible? Do you say it out loud or not? It depends on the situation. If the men are many, the women are many, there is no harm in saying Ameen out loud. Out loud as in, uh, so that you are able to hear yourself. Not that you start shouting. Okay? But take advantage of that opportunity and say Ameen. But if let's say the situation is such that your uh, husband's friend is there, okay, so there are two men and there are two women praying behind them, and in that situation, if you start saying Ameen out loud, you feel awkward, uncomfortable. Then in that situation, don't say it very loud. Say it very softly like, 
but still say it. But unfortunately, many women, they don't say Ameen at all. They don't say Ameen at all. Whereas they should say it because there is nothing preventing them. Okay? And if they don't say it, they're only depriving themselves of a great opportunity. وَكَانَ أَبُوْ هُرَيْرَةَ يُنَادِ الْإِمَامَ لَا تَفُتْنِي بِآمِينَ Abu Hurairah عنه, he used to yunadi, he used to call out who? Al-Imam, the Imam. And what would he say to the Imam? لَا تَفُتْنِي بِآمِينَ تَفُتْنِي from فوت meaning don't make me miss the Ameen. Pray slowly so that I can catch up with you and I don't miss the Ameen. He wanted to make sure he was part of the prayer when the Imam said Ameen. Now, when did this happen? Remember that when Marwan was the Amir of Medina, he would lead the people in prayer. Abu Hurairah used to live in Medina at the same time also. Now, Marwan would, being a Tabari, he was not a Sahabi, he was appointed as the Amir, and he would lead the people in prayer. Abu Hurairah on the other hand, a Sahabi, he would not lead the, lead the people in prayer. Okay? But Abu Hurairah what he would do is, that when the Iqama was pronounced, he would go around making sure that the rows are straight. He would make sure that the rows are straight. Now Marwan, what did we learn earlier about him? Zayd bin Thabit told him, what's wrong with you? You recite such short surahs. Hmm? So we learned that Marwan, what was his habit? That he would rush the prayer. He would rush the prayer. He would recite the Qur'an very quickly. Which is why he selected very short surahs. So what would Marwan do? Iqama is pronounced immediately. He would begin the salah. He would recite Surah Al-Fatiha very quickly, a short surah, and go into rukur. And Abu Hurairah wanted to make sure that the jama'ah is being performed properly. He would go around straightening the rows, and sometimes by the time he would join the congregation, Surah Al-Fatiha would be over. This is how fast Marwan would lead the prayer. So Abu Hurairah, sometimes he used to call out to Marwan, that reads slowly, don't let me miss Ameen. Does that tell you anything about Abu Hurairah? Yes, look at his humility. If we were in that position, what would we say? Either let me be Imam, or you know what, I'm going to go somewhere else. Because I am more worthy of this position than you. And if you cannot give me something that befits me, then I'm sorry, I cannot work with you, I cannot cooperate with you. Look at the humility of Abu Hurairah. Okay, you don't make me imam? Never mind. Never mind. I will do something else to get reward. I will do something else to make sure that people are upon the sunnah. That people are worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala properly. If I cannot lead them, then at least I can make sure that they are performing the salah properly. Whatever contribution he could make, he made it. Look at the humility of the sahabi. And this is a very, very beautiful quality that you know successful people have in their lives, in their personality. That if I cannot do this, then okay, I will do something else. But I will not sit idle. I will not boycott for the sake of boycotting. Because there is no ego over there, right? 
But from this we see that uh, Abu Hurairah how eager he was to be there for Amin, Because he wanted to make sure that he also said Amin. Why? To reap the benefits. وَقَالَ نَافِعٌ And Nafi' said, كَانَ ابْنُ عُمَرَ Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu, he used to, لَا يَدَعُهُ He would not leave it. Not leave what? Saying Amin. Meaning he would always say it. وَيَحُضُّهُمْ يَحُضُّ حَضُّ تَحْضِيد To encourage, to incite. So he would also encourage them. Meaning he would encourage the people also to never leave Amin. That he would tell the people, say Amin, don't leave it. وَسَمِعْتُ مِنْهُ And I heard from him, who's saying this? Nafir is saying, that I heard from Ibn Umar فِي ذَلِكَ Concerning that, خَيْرًا or خَبَرًا خَيْرًا or خَبَرًا If we understand this as خَيْرًا, what does it mean? Good. Meaning, Nafir is saying, I heard Ibn Umar say many good things about saying Ameen after Surah Al-Fatiha. And if we understand this, if we read this as Khabar, then Khabar would mean news. Meaning, I have heard many ahadiths, many traditions from Ibn Umar, many reports concerning saying Ameen after Surah Al-Fatiha. Now over here you might say, why are there two versions? And this is not the first time that we're coming across this. Hmm? Earlier also, many times it happens that what I have in front of me is different from what you have in front of yourself. Hmm? Uh, and sometimes we see that the word is slightly different or it's the same, just the pronunciation is different. So for example, يَقْرِنُوا يَقْرُنُوا خَيْرًا خَبَرًا If you look at the words, خَيْرًا خَبَرًا What's the difference? Just one dot. Just one dot. That's the difference. Okay? Now remember that when Imam Bukhari, when he, uh, when he compiled his book, he didn't say, okay, people come and copy this book from me. No. He would go city to city and he would teach his book. How would he teach it? He would read it out to the people. From where? From his memory. And the students that would be sitting in front of him, what would they do? Writing away. And when they are writing, then what's happening? Obviously, you hear a word, you know, for example, with a wow. And sometimes you hear it without a wow. You know, you heard it one way, somebody else heard it another way. Okay? So, this is the reason why what happened was that certain students of Imam Bukhari, their versions of Sahih Bukhari, they became popular. Okay? So, uh, we have, uh, you know, for example, the version of a particular student of Imam Bukhari. That is what it, it, it became known by. Another version, okay, uh, of, a, of a student of Imam Bukhari, that is what it became known by. But if you compare them, it's not like the differences are drastic. No, they're not major. They're not major. They're very, very minor. Okay? And you might say that, okay, but khabar, khair, there is, you know, when you're hearing this, there is a difference. There is a huge difference. And if people cannot distinguish between khabar and khayr, then you wonder, is the rest of it reliable? You know, th- this kind of thought, a question, doubt may come in your heart. Remember another thing, that when people would write, they would not necessarily put tashkil. And even now, 
when Arabs, they write their Arabic, they don't put tashkil. You don't always find it. Right? So when the tashkil is not there, it's very easy to, you know, think of one dot as two dots. Okay? It's very easy to think of two dots as one dot. And if you think about it, when the Arabic text is read, okay, and this you will find in many places, when the Arabic text is read, sometimes one text may be read in two different ways, but it's giving the same meaning. It's giving the same meaning. Okay? For example, the, the book Fiqh al Okay? This book, I was reading it with someone, and many times it happened that when I would read with them, I would read it in one way, and they would say, no, 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 it's not this way, it's this way. And then she would be like, no, what you read is also fine. You can also read it this way. This way, that way, it's okay. So for example, yakrinu yakrunu. It's the same. It's the same. It just depends on the reader, how he reads it. Now one person, when he put tashkil on Bukhari, he put yakrinu. Another person, when he put tashkil, he put yakrunu. Means the same thing. Okay? So whenever we come across these differences, remember why these differences are there. And also remember that now, alhamdulillah, uh, you know, when you read the sharh of Bukhari, the, the explanation, then you will find all the differences. You know, the one who has done the explanation, he has put them together. So that you can have a broader understanding. So have no doubts over here, inshallah. So what do we learn from this statement of Nafir? That Ibn Umar, what was his habit? That he would never leave Amin and he would encourage the people to say Amin. And he said that I have heard many good things or many reports concerning the importance of saying Amin. حدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال أخبرنا مالك عن ابن شهاب عن سعيد بن مسيب وأبي سلمة بن عبد الرحمن أنهما أخبراه عن أبي هريرة So Abu Hurairah رضي الله عنه he narrated that أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال إذا أمن الإيمان إمام When the Imam says آمين إذا أمن الإمام When the Imam أمن he says آمين فأمنوا Then you should also Say Ameen. Why? فَإِنَّهُ For indeed he مَنْ وَافَقَ تَأْمِينُهُ Whoever's ta'min corresponds with the ta'min al-malaika, the ta'min of the angels, غُفِرَ لَهُ مَا تَقَدَّمَ مِنْ زَنْبِهِ Then all his previous sins will be forgiven. وَقَالَ ابْنُ شِهَابٍ وَكَانُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ يَقُولُ Ameen. Ibn Shihab said the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم would say ta'min how? By saying Ameen. Not Ameen or Ameen or Amen. No, Ameen. Now, what do we learn in this hadith? Notice the words, إِذَا أَمَّنَ الْإِمَامُ When the Imam says Ameen, then you should also say Ameen. Some people, they misunderstood this as, the Imam should say Ameen first, and then the people should say Ameen. But this is not the way. What it means is that when he reaches the point of Ameen, which is what? The end of Surah Al-Fatiha, غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ When he reaches the point of Ta'meen, or when Ameen is supposed to be said, then you should also say Ameen. Along with the Iman. Because the angels also say Ameen at that time. Now, what do we learn over here? People can only say Ameen at the same time 
as the imam if that amin is loud so the bab jahr al imami bi ta'min proven people can only say amin out loud with the imam if they hear him say and they can only hear him say amin if he said it out loud so the imam must say amin out loud in the jahri salah now what do we learn about the angels from this hadith that they listen to the recitation the salah of the worshiper they witness it they listen to it so much so that when a person reaches the end of surah al-fatiha the angels also say amin Secondly, we see that the angels also follow the imam. Because when the imam says ameen, not when the munfarid says ameen. If a person is praying salah by himself and he's reciting Surah Al-Fatiha, angels won't say ameen at that time. But when the imam is reading, then the angels will say. So what does it show to us? The importance of jama'ah, congregation. Bab fadli ta'min The excellence, the virtue, the reward, the benefit of saying ameen Haddathana Abdullah ibn Yusuf Akhbarana Malik An Abi Zinad An Al-A'raji An Abi Hurairat Radiyallahu anhu An Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Qal Ida qala ahadukum ameen When one of you says ameen Waqalatil malaikatu Fissamai ameen And the angels in the sky They say ameen Imagine You're saying Ameen here and the angels up there are saying Ameen at the same time. Why? Because the angels hear the recitation of the Imam. فَوَافَقَتْ إِحْدَاهُمَ الْأُخْرَى And one of them corresponds with the other. Meaning, both say Ameen simultaneously at the same time. غُفِرَ لَهُ مَا تَقَدَّمَ مِنْ زَنْبِهِ Then all his past sins will be forgiven. So this is a great opportunity. Imagine, all his past sins will be forgiven. Obviously, from other texts, we learned that this is the minor sins. You see, major sins, when a person commits them, he knows. Hmm? Or at least they're easily uh, you know, identified. It's easy to recognize them. It's easy to point them out. Major sins. Because we know about the major sins. But the minor sins are which ones? If I ask you to list minor sins, you won't be able to. Why? Because there are those sins which we don't even consider to be sin. We belittle them. We don't think too much about them. And these are the little sins which are collected just like a group of people go and collect pieces of wood. One person gets two, another person gets three, another person gets one. And when all of them are put together, they're enough to create a huge fire. So likewise, minor sins, here, there, here, there, they're enough to destroy a person. So, This is a great benefit that if a person says Ameen at that time, then all his previous sins are forgiven. Bab jahril ma'mumi bit ta'meen. Saying Ameen aloud by people following an imam. Jahr, saying aloud. What? By who? Al ma'mum. Who is ma'mum? The follower. The person praying behind the imam. What is the ma'mum saying out loud? Ta'meen. Ameen. So Imam has to say out loud, what about the people behind him? Haddathana Abdullah ibn Maslama, an Malik, an Sumiyyin, Mawla Abi Bakrin, an Abi Salih, an Abi Hurayrata, an Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam aqal, idha qala al-Imam, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, when the Imam says, غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين, فقولوا آمين. 
then you should all say Ameen. فَإِنَّهُ for indeed he مَنْ whoever وَافَقَ قَوْلُهُ his his قول his saying corresponds with قَوْلَ الْمَلَائِكَةِ the saying of the angels the utterance of the angels meaning it coincides غُفِرَ لَهُ مَا تَقَدَّمَ مِنْ ذَنْبِهِ all his previous sins will be forgiven تَابَعُهُ مُحَمَّدُ بْنُ عَمْرٍ عَنْ أَبِي سَلَمَ عَنْ أَبِي هُرَيْرَ عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ وَنُعَيْمٌ الْمُجْمِرُ عَنْ أَبِي هُرَيْرَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ So over here basically Imam Bukhari is mentioning another chain of the same hadith. Now this hadith is more complete. It clarifies further how the Ameen has to be pronounced. That Ameen has to be said with the Imam and the angels. And that will be when? When the Imam says غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا الضَّالِّينَ After that. So it means together. Together. Imam will say loudly. The Ma'moon will say loudly. Obviously, you have to hear him say, okay, so as soon as he begins, then you say, don't precede him. Don't say Ameen before the Imam. Why? Because if you say it before him, you're not saying with him. Likewise, if you say it after him, you're not saying it with him. When can a person say Ameen with the Imam? When he's really paying attention. Right? When he's really paying attention. He's waiting for the Imam to say, And as soon as he hears, he will say, Ameen along with the Imam. So this reward is only for those who pay attention. And in this is also a reminder for those who are leading, that they should say, Ameen loud and clear, so that the people behind them can say, Ameen loud and clear. So if your brother, husband, son, you know, someone leads, whether at home or in a congregation, then remind them to say Ameen loudly so that other people can take benefit. Now with this, the abwab concerning Ta'meen, they are concluded. Any question about Ameen? Before we continue? Yeah, it's the same thing. That when a group of women are praying together, same thing. That the the woman who's the who's leading, she's saying Surah Al-Fatiha out loud, and she will also say Ameen out loud, just as she recited Surah Al-Fatiha. And the women who are with her, they should also say Ameen with her at the same time, loud. Now, in Qiyam, what is it that we have learned so far? About istiftah, about where the hands should be, about ta'awwud, about surah al-fatiha, right? About qira'ah, recitation, Ameen. What's after Qiyam? Rukur. So with regards to Rukur, Imam Bukhari says, Bab ida raka'a duna safi. When someone does Rukur, duna safi. Duna. What does duna mean? Behind. Behind the saf. So people are praying together in a saf. Okay? And a man comes in order to join the jama'ah and he sees that the people are in Rukur. So he goes into Rukur at the door of the masjid and he walks in the position of rukur to the saf and he joins them. Why would he do that? Because he wants to join the prayer as soon as possible so that he does not miss any reward. But is this permissible? Let's find out. حدثنا موسى بن إسماعيل قال حدثنا همام عن الأعلم وهو زياد عن الحسن عن أبي بكرة أنه ترنديد هي هو أبو بكرة A companion Indeed, he intaha ila Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He reached the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wahuwa raqir. 
while he was rakir. Meaning the Prophet ﷺ was in rukur. So by the time he reached the jama'ah, the Prophet ﷺ was in rukur. فَرَقَعَ So he went into rukur. قَبْلَ before أَنْ يَصِلَ إِلَى الصَّفْ That he joined the صَفْ يَصِلَ From وَصَلَ What does وَصَلَ mean? To join. So before even he joined the row, he went into rukur. He went into rukur and then he joined the صَفْ فَذَكَرَ ذَلِكَ لِلنَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ he mentioned that to the Prophet ﷺ, I did this. Is it okay? فقال, so he said, زَادَكَ اللَّهُ حِرْصًا وَلَا تَعُودُ زَادَكَ May He increase you from ziyada. Allahu Allah. May Allah increase you حِرْصًا In zeal, in enthusiasm, in greed. Greed for what? Reward. May Allah increase your zeal وَلَا تَعُودُ but don't repeat this, meaning don't do this again. This is not right. You should join the saf first and then go into rukur or sajda or whatever position the congregation is in. So, what do we learn from this? Hmm? That it is not allowed to do that. And that the Prophet ﷺ, first of all, look at how beautifully. The Prophet ﷺ is correcting him. If he said, no, no, this is not right. This is wrong. You should not do it. You see, the Prophet ﷺ understood the mentality of people. Why they are doing something. He appreciated the enthusiasm. He appreciated the zeal. And he gave him dua. May Allah only increase you in your zeal. However, being overzealous over here, that is not appropriate. So don't do this. Hmm? Abu Bakrah. This is different from Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Okay, this is Abu Bakr. Now, some people, they have used this hadith to prove, and this is uh, a very common opinion, an opinion held by many famous scholars, that based on this hadith, if a person joins the, in the rukur, then he has caught the rakah. You understand? Because Abu Bakr, he didn't want to miss the rukur. So he went in rukur and then walked up to the saf. Why? Because he wanted to catch that rakah. Okay? So, this is why they said that if a person uh, joins the jama'ah in rukur, then he has not missed the rakah, he does not need to repeat it. However, as popular this opinion is, and as uh, pop, you know, popular this hadith is, to, uh, you know, uh, th- that that opinion is based on, it's necessary to understand this hadith. First of all, we see that the reason why Abu Bakr did this was because he was eager to join the prayer so as to not miss any more of it. How do we understand this? The words of the Prophet ﷺ. زَادَكَ اللَّهُ حِرْصًا Okay? And if it was understood as not missing the raka, then that is not kind of hirs. That's the exact opposite. That you don't want to repeat an entire raka. Huh? You will have to do less. You understand? It's the opposite of hirs. Hirs means you want to get as more as possible. But when you're just joining in rukur, you miss the entire qiyam. You've lost on a major part of the prayer. Okay? So that's the exact opposite of the hirs. Is You understand? You get my point. So the Prophet ﷺ, his words, they show the reason why Abu Bakr did this was because he was eager for reward. Okay. Secondly, we see that the Prophet ﷺ told him not to do this again. 
not to do this again. Which shows that it is not permissible to enter the salah in this way. What? That you go into rukur and then join the saf. Which means that if a person does that, that he goes into rukur and then joins the saf, he's doing something that is prohibited. Because the Prophet ﷺ forbade. He's doing something that is prohibited then. Okay? And if he's doing something that is prohibited, how can a rukun of salah be accomplished by doing something prohibited? You understand? Like for example, a person wants to give, give sadaqah. Okay? Can he get the reward of sadaqah by doing something prohibited? Like for example, he goes and steals somebody's money. This is haram. And then he gives that in sadaqah. Will he get the reward of sadaqah? No. Why? Because he is doing that by doing something prohibited. Okay? So, when Abu Bakra entered the salah in this way, his rukur was not valid. His rukur was not valid. Because the Prophet ﷺ forbade him later from doing that, right? So his rukur was not valid. So, this is why this hadith cannot be used as proof for rakah being complete by catching the rukur. And thirdly, another evidence is that there is no mention of whether or not Abu Bakra you know, perform that rakah later or not. When there is no mention, we cannot assume anything. We have, to, we cannot take this as evidence. We have to find something else as evidence. And what is evidence for us? The fact that in every rakah, suratul fatiha has to be recited. Either a person recites it himself, or he hears a recitation of the imam. And there is many ahadith that prove that, and you've come across so many of them. And if a person joins a salah in rukur, then he missed fatiha. When he missed fatiha, then his rakah was not complete. When his rakah was not complete, what does it mean? He has to make it up later on. So both of these opinions exist. And as you can see, one is more popular. But when you analyze the hadith, the proof that is being taken, it seems like the other is more strong. Allahu a'lam. باب إتمام التكبير في الركوع إتمام التكبير في الركوع إتمام What does إتمام mean? To complete التكبير تكبير saying Allahu Akbar في الركوع in ركوع What does it mean by this? It means that when a person is going into ركوع he should complete saying التكبير when? When he enters the ركوع So it shouldn't be that he says Allahu Akbar He straightens his hands and then he goes down into Rukur. No. He should say, Allahu Akbar, and at the same time, do Rukur. And by the time he goes into the position of Rukur, he should complete saying the Takbir. You understand? So the Takbir should not be before going down into Rukur, nor should it be after going down into Rukur. It should be started when a person is going down to Rukur, and it should be completed when? when he reaches the position of ruku. Now, of course, there, there will be times when it's a little up and down. No big deal. Okay? Another understanding of this bab, some scholars have said that what Imam Bukhari meant was, itmam takbir fil rukur is that the takbirat are complete with the takbir of rukur. Now, in salah, in every rakah, there are a certain number of takbirat. Right? So for example, when you begin the salah, Allahu Akbar. 
then when you go down into ruku, Allahu Akbar. When you get up from ruku, you don't say Allahu Akbar, but what do you say? Samir Allahu liman hamida. Then when you go into sajda, Allahu Akbar. When you get up from sajda, Allahu Akbar. When you go down to sajda again, Allahu Akbar. When you get up from sajda into the second rakah, again, Allahu Akbar. Right? So there's a certain number of takbirat. And they will only be complete when takbir is pronounced for ruku. So what Imam Bukhari is proving over here is that takbir should be said when going into ruku. It should be said when going into ruku. Earlier what we learned at the beginning of this book was raising of the hands. Here we are learning about pronouncing the takbir. Qalahu Ibn Abbas. Ibn Abbas said this. And in Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, from the Prophet ﷺ. And fihi Malik ibn al-Huwaydith. And there is another narration of Malik ibn al-Huwaydith that proves this. Now, what are those proofs? Imam Bukhari does not mention them all over here. He just quotes them as evidence. Okay? Now, the statement of Ibn Abbas that comes later in Bab al-Takbir ida qama min al-Sujood that Imam Bukhari is just referring to here but the complete version will be mentioned later. And the hadith of Malik ibn al-Huwaydith uh, that is also mentioned later in Bab Al-Maqth Bainas Sajdatayn. Al-Maqth Bainas Sajdatayn, the sitting between two sajdas. So he's just referring to those proofs over here. Haddathana Ishaq al-Wasitiyyu. Qala haddathana Khalid. Anil Jurayriyyi. An Abil Alai. An Mutarrif. An Imran ibn Husaynin. Qala salla ma'a Aliyin. Radiyallahu anhu. So Imran ibn Husayn, he said that he prayed with Ali radiyallahu anhu bil Basra at Basra. فقالس, and then he said, ذَكَّرَنَا هَذَا الرَّجُلُ This man reminded us. Salatan of the prayer. كُنَّا نُصَلِّيهَا Which we used to pray. مَعَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ With the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. فَذَكَرَ And he mentioned that أَنَّهُ كَانَ That he used to يُكَبِّرُ He would say the takbir. كُلَّمَا رَفَعَ وَكُلَّمَا وَضَعَ Every time he got up, and every time he went down. Every time he got up, and every time he went down. When a person is going down, what does it mean? Either he's going down into ruku or he's going down to sajda. So he said takbir when doing that. And every time he got up, when a person is getting up, he's either getting up from sajda, or he's getting up from tashahud, or he's getting up from ruku. So he said takbir. Now obviously for ruku, it's understood that you don't say Allah, but you say, Samir Allah, Riman Hamida. Right? So, Imran bin Hussein said about the prayer of Ali anhu, he reminded me of the prayer of the Prophet The Prophet every time he went up or down, what would he say? Allahu Akbar. So from this, we learn about the obligation of takbir. That each time a person shifts from one rukun of salah to another, takbir has to be pronounced. Because this is what the Prophet did. حدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال أخبرنا مالك عن ابن شهاب عن أبي سلمة عن أبي هريرة أنه كان يصلي بهم أبو هريرة ضلوا عنه once he was praying with them فيكبر and he would say the takbir كلما خفض ورفع every time he went down and he got up so again ركور سجدة going down getting up from there every time he did that he would say takbir فإذا صرف then when he finished meaning when he finished the prayer قال he said إني indeed I لا أشبهكم لا surely أشبه أفعل one who resembles most كم among you صلاة in prayer برسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم with the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم meaning my prayer is the most 
similar to the prayer of the Prophet Meaning amongst all of us present here, the way I performed the prayer was the way the Prophet used to perform the prayer. Is he showing off over here? No. He's teaching them that my prayer resembles the prayer of the Prophet because I saw him pray like this. I heard him. And I memorized that way. And that is how I performed the prayer. I asked him. I learned from him. So, you should follow me. And what is it that he was teaching them here? That going, whenever transitioning from one position to another, what should be said? Allahu Akbar. Bab itmami takbiri fi sujood. Completing the takbir in sajda. Same thing. That when a person is going down into sajda, he should say takbir in such a way that begins and ends. You know, in, in, in that manner. And secondly, the takbirat of sajda. If they are not pronounced, then the takbirat of the salah are incomplete. Okay? They're not complete. حدثنا أبو النعمان قال حدثنا حماد عن غيلان بن جرير عن مطرف بن عبد الله قال صليت خلف علي بن أبي طالب So مطرف He said that I prayed behind علي بن أبي طالب رضي الله عنه أنا وعمران بن حسين I and عمران بن حسين فكان إذا سجد كبر So علي When he went down into sajda He كبر He said the takbir وإذا رفع رأسه And when he raised his head Meaning when he got up كبر Again he said takbir وَإِذَا نَهَضَ مِنَ الرَّكْعَتَيْنِ When he got up from the two rak'ah, meaning from the tashahud, again, kabbara, he said the takbir. فَلَمَّا قَدَ الصَّلَاةَ Then when he finished the prayer, when the prayer was over, أَخَذَ بِيَدِي He took my hand. Who? Imran ibn Hussain. Imran ibn Hussain held my hand. Who's saying this? Mutarrif. Because Mutarrif said that I and Imran ibn Hussain prayed behind Ali. And he described the prayer of Ali. So after the prayer, Imran bin Hussein grabbed the hand of Mutarrif and he said, فقال, and he said, قَدْ ذَكَّرَنِي هَذَا This man reminded me of Salat Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Of the prayer of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Or he said, لَقَدْ صَلَّى بِنَا Salat Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Or he prayed with us the prayer of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa so again we learn from this that takbirat have to be pronounced for sajda. حدثنا عمرو بن عون قال حدثنا هشيم عن أبي بشر عن عكرمة قال رأيت رجلا عكرمة who is عكرمة student of the Sahabi which one ابن عباس رضي الله عنه okay so عكرمة he said that رأيت رجلا I saw a man عند المقام near the مقام which مقام is this Maqam Ibrahim. So where is this? In Mecca, in the Haram. He said, I saw a man, he was praying salah near the maqam, yukabbiru, and he was saying takbir, fi kulli khafdin wa raf'in wa ila qama wa ila wada'a. He said the takbir in each khafd. What does khafd mean? Khafidatul rafi'a. Khafidah, one that brings down. So khafd, going down. وَرَفْعٍ Going up. وَإِذَا قَامَ And when he stood up from a sitting position. وَإِذَا وَضَعَ And when he put down. Meaning when he went down from standing position. Okay? So khafd وَرَفْ It refers to the rukur. Khafd and raf refers to the rukur. And قَامَ وَوَضَعَ 
refers to getting up from sajda into standing position or from sitting position and wada going down into sajda from standing position you understand because khaft rafa is to bring down bring up okay and qama stand up obviously you stand up from what sitting position or sajda position فَأَخْبَرْتُ ابْنَ عَبَّاسِ He said, I, I told Ibn Abbas about this. That I saw this man saying takbir every time. قَالَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ قَالَ Ibn Abbas, he said, أَوَ لَيْسَ تِلْكَ صَلَاةَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ لَا أُمَّ لَكَ He said, is this not the prayer of the Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم? لَا أُمَّ لَكَ May you have no mother. What's wrong with you? Of course. Now, la ummalak, what does it mean? May you have no mother. Meaning, may you lose your mother. Now, if you take this expression literally, it's very harsh. But we see that this expression, I mean, you hear it quite often in many a hadith. Right? Also, sakilatka ummak, or sakilatki ummuki. That may your mother lose you. May your mother lose you. So that she becomes sad and grieves over your loss. The Prophet ﷺ said this to a companion. You know that? What does this teach us about expressions? That they should not be taken literally. Okay? It's very important to not take expressions literally. Because if you start taking them literally, then... I mean, this expression also seems very offensive. Whereas the companions are saying them. The Prophet is saying them. So, we see that when it comes to language, really, you have to keep in mind how it is that people understand certain words. How is it that they understand certain expressions? Do they take them literally or do they not take them literally? Okay, you have to see what is ma'roof, what is culturally acceptable. Okay? So, for example, if someone says... To you in English, may your mother die. I mean, this is very offensive. How dare you? This you're making du'a against me. You you could almost say that this is a sin. This is extremely bad manners. This is a, of the worst etiquettes that you're praying for the death of someone's mother. In our culture, not acceptable at all. But in that culture, at that time, if someone says la ummalak then it's not to be taken the truth. I go, okay. Now, in English, people say, what the hell? It's quite common. Now, uh, personally, I hate this expression because to, hell is very serious to me. You can't trivialize hell by using hell, hell, hell all the time on every little thing. Right? But if you start taking this expression literally every time, then you'll be very disturbed when you speak to teenagers and you won't be able to carry any conversation with them because you'd be offended every time they speak to you. Right? So this is a very important point that we have to understand when we're dealing with people. Don't take expressions literally. Okay? So in this hadith, what do we learn? That Ibn Abbas, he approved the action of this man, which was saying takbir, with every movement. Okay. Bab at takbiri ida kama min as sujud. 
saying the takbir when rising from the sajda meaning from when getting up from the sajda حدثنا موسى بن اسماعيل قال اخبرنا همام عن قتاده عن اكرمه same incident but different narration so different words and different details قال صليت خلف شيخ بمكه اكرمه said that i prayed behind a sheikh meaning an elderly man bimakkah at makkah in makkah the earlier hadith what was that ikrimah is saying that someone was praying by the maqam this tells us that he was praying behind him behind the maqam okay fakabbara so he did takbir sintaini wa 20 takbiratan 22 times he did takbir 22 times in the salah faqultu li ibn abbas innahu ahwaq so i said to ibn abbas this man's crazy he's saying takbir 22 times in the salah فقال ابن عباس سد سكيلتك أمك may your mother lose you سنة أبي القاسم صلى الله عليه وسلم this was the sunnah of Abu Qasim meaning of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم وقال موسى حدثنا أبان حدثنا قدادد حدثنا عكرمة now who was this man who was praying salah like this it was Abu Hurairah رضي الله عنه okay as we learn from other reports of the same incident Abu Hurairah performed the salah like this. Every time he got up, went down, he said the takbir. And how many times was it in total? Twenty-two hmm? times. How? In every rakah, there are five takbirat. Now obviously one of them is Samir Allahu liman hamidah. Okay? How are there five? First of all, when you go down into rukur. Okay? Secondly, when you get up from ruku, you don't say Allahu Akbar, you say Samir Allah Liman Hamida. But you know when you have only one thing different, then you just generalize. Okay. Third takbir is when going down into sajda. Fourth takbir is when getting up from sajda. And the fifth takbir is when going down into the second sajda. So repeat again. Going into ruku, getting up from ruku, going down into sajda, getting up from sajda, and then going down into second sajda multiply that by five actually the ruku leave that that's not part of the five okay when you get up from sajda the second sajda that is what the fifth one erase everything start again going into ruku going into sajda getting up from sajda going down to second sajda getting up from second sajda Five, five takbirat. Okay. Now this is something that is consistent throughout the four rakat. So how many do you have? Twenty. Now what are these two more? Firstly, the first takbir. That's twenty-one. And then when you get up from the second rakat, you say Allahu Akbar. When you get up from sajda, you sit in the shahud. You sit in the shahud, and then you stand up and you say Allahu Akbar. So that's another takbir. So how many? Twenty-two. So. Twenty-two takbirat, Ikrima heard him say, and he said, "What's going on?" And he said, "Ibnu Ahmad." He was very quick to pass, it, you know, a judgment, and he didn't even realize that was the companion of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and he was right. And Ibn Abbas got more upset with him. He said, "Sakilat ka ummuk." Earlier in the other report we learned La ummalak. This is a sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Isn't this how the prayer is supposed to be performed? So what do we learn from this? That just because we don't know something 
Just because we see somebody doing something we don't know about, don't think they are wrong. Don't think they are wrong. Don't just assume that you know better. Just because you studied a little bit of fiqh of salah once upon a time, so you think you were a master of fiqh of salah. Okay? I mean, things that you know are incorrect, that's different. But again, don't say things like, إِنَّهُ أَحْمَقَ Okay? And secondly, when you don't know about something, don't be quick you know, to say, this is wrong, this is not part of salah, this is against a sunnah. No. Be patient over there. And find out, research. And when you will find out, investigate, you might learn something new. حدثنا يحيى بن بكير قال حدثنا الليث عن عقيل عن ابن شهاب قال أخبرني أبو بكر بن عبد الرحمن بن الحارث أنه سمع أبا هريرة يقول he said كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا قام إلى الصلاة when the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم would stand for prayer أبو هريرة said يكبر حين يقوم he would say تكبير when he would stand ثم يكبر حين يركع then he would say تكبير when he would go down into ركوع ثم يقول سمع الله لمن حمده when he would get up from ركوع he would say سمع الله لمن حمده حين يرفع when he would lift up sulbahu sulbahu his back meaning when he would straighten his back in other words get up from rukur into standing position he would say samir allahu liman hamida min rakar from the rakar thumma yaqulu then he would say wa huwa qa'im while he would be standing rabbana lakal hamd qala abdullah ibn salih an al-layl wa lakal hamd he said the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would say rabbana wa lakal hamd so in one narration rabbana lakal hamd in another narration rabbana wa lakal hamd thumma yukabbiru hina yahwi then he would say takbir when he would yahwi. Yahwi, when najmi ida hawa, to come down. So when he would go down into sajda. Do you have yahwi? Yahwi or yahwi? Yahwi, okay. Summa yukabbiru hina yarfa'u ra'asahu. Then he would again say takbir when he would lift up his head. Summa yukabbiru hina yasjudu. Then he would say takbir when he would go down to sajda. Summa yukabbiru hina yarfa'u ra'asahu. Then he would say takbir again when he would get up from his Sajda meaning when he would lift up his head. So يَفْعَلُ ذَلِكَ فِي الصَّلَاةِ كُلِّهَا Then he would repeat this, he would say this in the entire prayer, حَتَّى يَقْضِيَهَا Until he completed the prayer. وَيُكَبِّرُ حِينَ يَقُومُ And he would also say takbir when he would stand up مِنَ الثِّنْتَيْنِ بَعْدَ الْجُلُوسِ From the two rak'ah after julus, after sitting position, meaning after the tashahud, after the first tashahud when he would get up, he would also say takbir. So this hadith clarifies how it was 22 takbirat. So what do we learn? That these 22 takbirat are essential. If a person misses, leaves any of them out, then his salah is deficient, it is lacking, it is incomplete. Now inshallah, we will learn about rukur. Okay? So this was a little bit about going into rukur. First of all, how do you go into rukur? Not away from the saf. And secondly, you have to say the takbir. Now when you go into Rukur, where do you put your hands? What do you say in Rukur? Inshallah we will learn about that in the next class, inshallah. And um, for that, remember that in Rukur also there are certain adhkar that have to be said. So you're going to be getting a new sheet very soon. Okay, inshallah. So make sure that whatever dua you want to memorize, especially if istiftah, okay, at least one. At least one. If not all of them, at least one. Okay, so let's aim to complete the memorization. Tomorrow, inshallah, I'll give you some time to memorize. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.